0: Chapter 4 part 11 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Scott Beatty Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds volume 1 charles mackay the Alchemist, part eleven jean delisle in the year seventeen o five there was much talk in france of a blacksmith named delisle who had discovered the philosopher's stone and who went about the country turning lead into gold he was a native of provence from which his fame soon spread to the capital his early life is involved in obscurity but lenglet du Fresnoy has industriously collected some particulars of his later career which possess considerable interest he was a man without any education and had been servant in his youth to an alchemist from whom he learned many of the tricks of the fraternity the name of his master has never been discovered but it is pretended that he rendered himself in some manner obnoxious to the government of louis the fourteenth and was obliged, in consequence, to take refuge in Switzerland. De Leo accompanied him as far as Savoy, and there, it is said, set upon him in a solitary mountain-pass, and murdered and robbed him. He then disguised himself as a pilgrim, and returned to France. At a lonely inn, by the roadside, where he stopped for the night, he became acquainted with a woman, named Eloise, and so sudden a passion was enkindled betwixt them that she consented to leave all follow him and share his good or evil fortune wherever he went they lived together for five or six years in Provence, without exciting any attention apparently possessed of a decent independence at last in seventeen o six it was given out that he was the possessor of the philosopher's stone and people from far and near came flocking to his residence at the Château de la Palue at Sillenaise, near Bargemont, to witness the wealth he could make out of pumps and fire-shovels. The following account of his operations is given in a letter addressed to Monsieur de Cercy, the prior of Chateauneuf, in the diocese of Ries, in Provence, to the vicar of Saint-Jacques du Hattepas, at Paris, and dated the 18th of November, 1706. I have something to relate to you, my dear cousin, which will be interesting to you and your friends. The Philosopher's Stone, which so many persons have looked upon as a chimera, is at last found. It is a man named Delisle, of the parish of Cillenay, and residing within a quarter of a league of me that has discovered this great secret he turns lead into gold and iron into silver by merely heating these metals red-hot and pouring upon them in that state some oil and powder he is possessed of so that it would not be impossible for any man to make a million a day if he had sufficient of this wondrous mixture some of the pale gold which he had made in this manner he sent to the jewellers of Lyon to have their opinion of its quality he also sold twenty pounds weight of it to a merchant of digne named texas all the jewellers say they never saw such fine gold in their lives he makes nails part gold part iron and part silver he promised to give me one of them in a long conversation which i had with him the other day by order of the bishop of senes who saw his operations with his own eyes and detailed all the circumstances to me the baron and the baroness de reinwald showed me a lingot of gold made out of pewter before their eyes by m de lisle my brother-in-law savour who has wasted fifty years of his life in this great study brought me the other day a nail which she had seen changed into gold by Delisle and fully convinced me that all his previous experiments were founded on an erroneous principle this excellent workman received a short time ago a very kind letter from the superintendent of the royal household which i read he offered to use all his influence with the ministers to prevent any attempts upon his liberty which has twice been attacked by the agents of government it is believed that the oil he makes use of is gold or silver reduced to that state he leaves it for a long time exposed to the rays of the sun he told me that it generally took him six months to make all his preparations i told him that apparently the king wanted to see him he replied that he could not exercise his art in every place as a certain climate and temperature were absolutely necessary to his success the truth is that this man appears to have no ambition he only keeps two horses and two men-servants besides he loves his liberty has no politeness and speaks very bad french but his judgment seems to be solid he was formerly no more than a blacksmith but excelled in that trade without having been taught it all the great lords and seigneurs from far and near come to visit him pay such court to him that it seems more like idolatry than anything else happy would france be if this man would discover his secret to the king to whom the superintendent has already sent some lingots but the happiness is too great to be hoped for for i fear that the workman and his secret will expire together there is no doubt that this discovery will make a great noise in the kingdom unless the character of the man which i have just depicted to you prevent it at all events posterity will hear of him in another letter to the same person dated the twenty-seventh of january seventeen o seven monsieur de cercy says my dear cousin i spoke to you in my last letter of the famous alchemist of provence monsieur de lille a good deal of that was only hearsay but now i am enabled to speak from my own experience i have in my possession a nail half iron and half silver which i made myself that great and admirable workman also bestowed a still greater privilege upon me he allowed me to turn a piece of lead which i had brought with me into pure gold by means of his wonderful oil and powder all the country have their eyes upon this gentleman some deny loudly others are incredulous but those who have seen acknowledge the truth i have read the passport that has been sent to him from court, with orders that he should present himself at Paris early in the spring. He told me that he would go willingly, and that it was himself who fixed the spring for his departure, as he wanted to collect his materials in order that, immediately on his introduction to the king, he might make an experiment worthy of his majesty, by converting a large quantity of lead into the finest gold. I sincerely hope, that he will not allow a secret to die with him, but that he will communicate it to the king. As I had the honor to dine with him on Thursday last, the twentieth of this month, being seated at his side, I told him in a whisper that he could, if he liked, humble all the enemies of France. He did not deny it, but began to smile. In fact, this man is the miracle of art. Sometimes he employs the oil and powder mixed, sometimes the powder only, but in so small a quantity, that when the lingot which I made was rubbed all over it, it did not show at all. This soft-headed priest was by no means the only person in the neighborhood who lost his wits in hopes of the boundless wealth held out by this clever impostor. Another priest, named de Lyon, A chanter in the Cathedral of Grenoble, writing on the thirtieth January, seventeen o seven, says, Monsieur Mesnard, the curate of Montierre, has written to me, stating that there is a man, about thirty five years of age, named Delisle, who turns lead and iron into gold and silver, and that this transmutation is so veritable and so true that the goldsmiths affirm that his gold and silver are the purest and finest they ever saw for five years this man was looked upon as a madman or a cheat but the public mind is now disabused with respect to him he now resides with monsieur de la peloux at the chateau of the same name monsieur de la Pelou is not very easy in his circumstances and wants money to portion his daughters have remained single to middle age no man being willing to take them without a dowry m de lisle has promised to make them the richest girls in the province before he goes to court having been sent for by the king he is asked for a little time before his departure in order that he may collect powder enough to make several quintals of gold before the eyes of his majesty to whom he intends to present them the principal matter of his wonderful powder is composed of simples principally the herbs lunaria major and minor there is a good deal of the first planted by him in the gardens of la palou and he gets the other from the mountains that stretch about two leagues from Montier. what i tell you now is not a mere story invented for your diversion monsieur mesnard can bring forward many witnesses to its truth among others the bishop of senes whom saw these surprising operations performed and monsieur de cercy whom you know well de transmutes his metals in public he rubs the lead or iron with his powder and puts it over burning charcoal in a short time it changes color the lead becomes yellow and is found to be converted into excellent gold the iron becomes white and is found to be pure silver delisle is altogether an illiterate person monsieur de saint aubin endeavoured to teach him to read and write but he profited very little by his lessons he is unpolite fantastic and a dreamer and acts by fits and starts de Lille, it would appear was afraid of venturing to paris he knew that his sleight of hand would be too narrowly watched in the royal presence and upon some pretense or other he delayed the journey for more than two years desmarets the minister of finance to louis the fourteenth thinking the philosopher dreaded foul play twice sent him a safe conduct under the king's seal but de still refused. Upon this Desmarets wrote to the Bishop of Senis for his real opinion as to these famous transmutations. The following was the answer of that prelate. Copy of a report addressed to Monsieur Desmarets, Comptroller-General of the Finances to His Majesty Louis Fourteenth, by the Bishop of Senes dated march 1709 sir a twelvemonth ago or a little more i expressed to you my joy at hearing of your elevation to the ministry i have now the honour to write you my opinion of the sieur de lille who has been working at the transmutation of metals in my diocese i have during the last two years spoken of him several times to the count de pontchartrain because he asked me but i have not written to you sir or to monsieur de chamillart because you neither of you requested my opinion upon the subject now however that you have given me to understand that you wish to know my sentiments on the matter i will unfold myself to you in all sincerity for the interest of the king and the glory of your ministry there are two things about the sieur de lisle which in my opinion should be examined without prejudice the one relates to his secret the other to his person that is to say whether his transmutations are real and whether his conduct has been regular as regards the secret of the philosopher's stone i deemed it impossible for a long time and for more than three years i was more mistrustful of the pretensions of sieur de lisle than any other person during this period i affronted him no countenance i even aided a person who was highly recommended to me by an influential family of this province to prosecute de for some offence or other which it was alleged he had committed but this person in his anger against him having told me that he had himself been several times the bearer of gold and silver to the goldsmiths of nice axe and avignon which had been transmuted by dalil from lead and iron i began to waver a little in my opinions respecting him i afterwards met dalil at the house of one of his friends to please me the family asked dalil to operate before me to which he immediately consented i offered him some iron nails which he changed into silver in the chimney-place before six or seven credible witnesses i took the nails thus transmuted and sent them by my almoner to imbert the jeweller of Aix, who having subjected them to the necessary trial returned them to me saying that they were very good silver still however i was not quite satisfied m de Pontchartrain, having hinted to me two years previously that i should do a thing agreeable to his majesty if i examined into this business of delisle i resolved to do so now I therefore summoned the alchemist to come to me at Castaigne. He came, and I had him escorted by eight or ten vigilant men, to whom I had given notice to watch his hand strictly. Before all of us he changed two pieces of lead into gold and silver. I sent them both to Monsieur de Pontchartrain, and he afterwards informed me, by a letter now lying before me, that he has shown them to the most experienced goldsmiths of paris who unanimously pronounce them to be gold and silver of the very purest quality and without alloy my former bad opinion of de Lille was now indeed shaken it was much more so when he performed transmutation five or six times before me at senes and made me perform it myself before him without his putting his hand To anything, you have seen, sir, the letter of my nephew, the Pere Berard of the oratoire at Paris, on the experiment that he performed at Castellane, and the truth of which I hereby attest. Another nephew of mine, the Sieur Bourget, who was here three weeks ago, performed the same experiment in my presence, and will detail all the circumstances to you personally at Paris a hundred persons in my diocese have been witnesses of these things i confess to you sir that after the testimony of so many spectators and so many goldsmiths and after the repeatedly successful experiments that i saw performed all my prejudices vanished my reason was convinced by my eyes and the phantoms of impossibility which i had conjured up were dissipated by the work of my own hands it now only remains for me to speak to you on the subject of his person and conduct three suspicions have been excited against him the first that he was implicated in some criminal proceedings at cisteron and that he falsified the coin of the realm the second that the king sent him two safe conducts without effect and the third that he still delays going to court to operate before the king. You may see, sir, that I do not hide or avoid anything. As regards the business at Cisteron, the sieur de Lisle has repeatedly assured me that there was nothing against him which could reasonably draw him within the pale of justice, and that he had never carried on any calling injurious to the king's service. It was true that six or seven years ago, he had been to Sisteron, to gather herbs necessary for his powder, and that he had lodged at the house of one Pelouse, whom he thought an honest man. Pelouse was accused of clipping Louise Dior's, and, as he had lodged with him, he was suspected of being his accomplice. This mere suspicion, without any proof whatever, had caused him to be condemned for contumacy a common case enough with judges who always proceed with much rigor against those who are absent during my own sojourn at aix it was well known that a man named Andre elias had spread about reports injurious to the character of de because he hoped thereby to avoid paying him a sum of forty louis that he owed him but permit me sir to go further and to add that even if there were well-founded suspicions against delisle we should look with some little indulgence on the faults of a man who possesses a secret so useful to the state as regards the two safe-conducts sent him by the king I think I can answer certainly that it was through no fault of his that he paid so little attention to them. His year, strictly speaking, consists only of the four summer months, and when, by any means, he is prevented from making the proper use of them, he loses a whole year. Thus the first safe-conduct became useless by the eruption of the Duke of Savoy in 1707, and the second had hardly been obtained at the end of June 1708, when the said De Lille was insulted by a party of armed men, pretending to act under the authority of the Count de Gringon, to whom he wrote several letters of complaint, without receiving any answer, or promise that his safety would be attended to. What I have now told you, sir, removes the third objection, and is the reason why, at the present time, he cannot go to paris to the king in fulfilment of his promises made two years ago two or even three summers have been lost to him owing to the continual inequitude he has laboured under he has in consequence been unable to work and has not collected a sufficient quantity of his oil and powder or brought what he has got to the necessary degree of perfection for this reason Also, he could not give the sieur de Bourget the portion he promised him for your inspection. If the other day he changed some lead into gold, with a few grains of his powder, they were assuredly all he had, for he told me that such was the fact long before he knew my nephew was coming. Even if he had preserved this small quantity to operate before the king, I am sure that, on second thoughts, he would never have adventured with so little, because the slightest obstacles in the metal, their being too hard or too soft, which is only discovered in operating, would have caused him to be looked upon as an impostor. if, in case his first powder, had proved ineffectual, he had not been possessed of more to renew the experiment and surmount the difficulty. Permit me, sir, in conclusion, to repeat that, such an artist as this should not be driven to the last extremity nor forced to seek an asylum offered to him in other countries but which he has despised as much from his own inclinations as from the advice i have given him you risk nothing in giving him a little time and in hurrying him you may lose a great deal the genuineness of his gold can no longer be doubted, after the testimony of so many jewelers of Aix, Lyon, and Paris, in its favor. As it is not his fault that the previous safe conduct sent to him have been of no service, it will be necessary to send him another, for the success of which I will be answerable. If you will confide the matter to me, and trust to my zeal for the service of his majesty, to whom I pray you to communicate this letter, that I may be spared the just reproaches he might one day heap upon me if he remained ignorant of the facts I have now written to you. Assure him, if you please, that, if you send me such a safe conduct, I will oblige the Sir de Lille to depose me with such precious pledges of his fidelity, as shall enable me to be responsible myself to the king. These are my sentiments, and I submit them to you with your superior knowledge, and have the honor to remain, with much respect, etc. John Bishop of Senes To Monsieur de Maretz, Minister of State and Comptroller-General of the Finances at Paris That de Lille was no ordinary impostor. But a man of consummate cunning and address is very evident from this letter the bishop was fairly taken in by his clever legerdemain and when once his first distrust was conquered appeared as anxious to deceive himself as even de lisle could have wished his faith was so abundant that he made the case of his protege his own and would not suffer the breath of suspicion to be directed against him Both Louis and his minister appear to have been dazzled by the brilliant hopes he had excited, and a third pass for safe conduct was immediately sent to the alchemist, with a command from the king that he should forthwith present himself at Versailles, and make public trial of his oil and powder. But this did not suit the plans of Delisle. In the provinces he was regarded as a man of no small importance. The servile flattery that awaited him wherever he went was so grateful to his mind that he could not willingly relinquish it and run upon certain detection at the court of the monarch. Upon one pretext or another, he delayed his journey, notwithstanding the earnest solicitations of his good friend the bishop. The latter had given his word to the minister, and pledged his honour that he would induce Dalil to go, and he began to be alarmed when he found he could not subdue the obstinacy of that individual. For more than two years he continued to remonstrate with him, and was always met by some excuse that there was not sufficient powder, or that it had not been long enough, exposed to the rays of the sun. At last his patience was exhausted and fearful that he might suffer in the royal estimation by longer delay he wrote the king for a lettre de cachet in virtue of which the alchemist was seized at the castle of la Palu, in the month of june seventeen eleven and carried off to be imprisoned in the bastille the gendarmes were aware that their prisoner was supposed to be the lucky possessor of the philosopher's stone and on the road they conspired to rob and murder him one of them pretended to be touched with pity for the misfortunes of the philosopher and offered to give him an opportunity of escape whenever he could divert the attention of his companions was profuse in his thanks little dreaming of the snare that was laid for him his treacherous friend gave notice of the success of the stratagem so far and it was agreed that De delisle should be allowed to struggle with and overthrow one of them while the rest were at some distance they were then to pursue him and shoot him through the heart and after robbing the corpse of the philosopher's stone convey it to paris on a cart and tell Monsieur desmarets that the prisoner had attempted to escape and would have succeeded if they had not fired after him and shot him through the body at a convenient place the scheme was executed on a given signal from the friendly gendarme delisle fled while another gendarme took aim and shot him through the thigh some peasants arriving at the instant they were prevented from killing him as they intended He was transported to Paris, maimed and bleeding. He was thrown into a dungeon in the Bastille, and obstinately tore away the bandages which the surgeons applied to his wound. He never afterwards rose from his bed. The bishop of Sinace visited him in prison, and promised him his liberty if he would transmute a certain quantity of lead into gold before the king the unhappy man had no longer the means of carrying on the deception he had no gold and no double-bottomed crucible or hollow wand to conceal it in even if he had he would not however confess that he was an impostor but merely said that he did not know how to make the powder of projection but had received a quantity of it from an italian philosopher and had used it all in his various transmutations in province he lingered for seven or eight months in the bastille and died from the effects of his wound in the forty-first year of his age albert alois this pretender to the philosopher's stone was the son by a former husband of the woman alois with whom de became acquainted at the commencement of his career in the cabaret by the roadside and whom he afterwards married delisle performed the part of a father towards him and thought he could show no stronger proof of his regard than by giving him the necessary instructions to carry on the deception which had raised himself to such a pitch of greatness the young elias was an apt scholar, and soon mastered all the jargon of the alchemist. He discoursed learnedly upon projections, cementations, sublimations, the elixir of life, and the universal alkahest and on the death of Delisle gave out that the secret of that great adept had been communicated to him, and to him only his mother aided in the fraud with the hope that they might both fasten themselves in true alchymical fashion upon some rich dupe who would entertain them magnificently while the operation was in progress the fate of delisle was no inducement for them to stop in france the Provençals, it is true entertained as high an opinion as ever of his skill and were well inclined to believe the tales of the young adept on whom his mantle had fallen but the dungeons of the Bastille were yawning for their prey, and Alois and his mother decamped with all convenient expedition. They travelled about the continent for several years, sponging upon credulous rich men, and now and then performing successful transmutations by the aid of double-bottomed crucibles and the like. In the year 1726 Alois, without his mother, who appears to have died in the interval, was at vienna where he introduced himself to the duke de richelieu at that time ambassador from the court of france he completely deceived this nobleman and turned lead into gold apparently on several occasions and even made the ambassador himself turn an iron nail into a silver one the duke afterwards boasted to lenglet du fresnoy of his achievement as an alchemist and regretted that he had not been able to discover the secret of the precious powder by which he performed them Alois soon found that although he might make a dupe of the duke Death. of richelieu he could not get any money from him on the contrary the duke expected all his pokers and fire-shovels to be made of silver and all his pewter utensils gold and thought the honor of his acquaintance was reward sufficient for a roturier, who could not want wealth, since he possessed so invaluable a secret. Alois, seeing that so much was expected of him, bade adieu to His Excellency, and proceeded to Bohemia, accompanied by a pupil, and by a young girl, who had fallen in love with him in Vienna. Some noblemen in Bohemia received him kindly, and entertained him at their houses for months at a time it was his usual practice to pretend that he possessed only a few grains of his powder with which he would operate in any house where he intended to fix his quarters for the season he would make the proprietor a present of a piece of gold thus transmuted and promise him millions if he could only be provided with the leisure to gather his lunaria major and minor on their mountain tops and board lodging and loose cash for himself, his wife, and his pupil in the interval. He exhausted in this manner the patience of some dozen people, when thinking that there was less danger for him in France under the young king Louis the fifteenth, than under his old and morose predecessor, he returned to Provence. On his arrival at Aix, he presented himself before Monsieur le Bret the president of the province a gentleman who is much attached to the pursuits of alchemy and had great hopes of being himself able to find the philosopher's stone Monsieur le bret contrary to his expectation received him very coolly in consequence of some rumours that were spread abroad respecting him and told him to call upon him on the morrow alois did not like the tone of his voice or the expression of the eye of the learned president as that functionary looked down upon him suspecting that all was not right he left x secretly the same evening and proceeded to marseilles but the police were on the watch for him and he had not been out there four-and-twenty hours before he was arrested on a charge of coining and thrown into prison as the proofs against him were too convincing to leave him much hope of an acquittal he planned an escape from durance it so happened that the gaoler had a pretty daughter and alois soon discovered that she was tender hearted he endeavoured to gain her in his favour and succeeded the damsel unaware that he was a married man conceived and encouraged a passion for him and generously provided him with the means of escape after he had been nearly a year in prison he succeeded in getting free leaving the poor girl behind to learn that he was already married and to lament in solitude that she had given her heart to an ungrateful vagabond when he left marseilles he had not a shoe to his foot or a decent garment to his back but was provided with some money and clothes by his wife in a neighboring town they then found their way to brussels and by dint of excessive impudence brought themselves into notice he took a house fitted up a splendid laboratory and gave out that he knew the secret of transmutation in vain did m purcell the brother-in-law of lenglet de Fresnoy, who resided in that city expose his pretensions and hold him up to contempt as an ignorant impostor the world believed him not they took the alchemist at his word and besieged his doors to see and wonder at the clever legerdemain by which he turned iron nails into gold and silver a rich greffier paid him a large sum of money that he might be instructed in the art and alois gave him several lessons on the most common principles of chemistry. The greffier studied hard for a twelve-month, and then discovered that his master was a quack. He demanded his money back again, but Alois was not inclined to give it to him, and the affair was brought before the civil tribunal of the province. In the meantime, however, the greffier died suddenly, poisoned, according to popular rumor, by his debtor to avoid repayment. So great an outcry arose in the city, that Alois, who may have been innocent of the crime, was nevertheless afraid to remain and brave it. He withdrew secretly in the night, and retired to Paris. Here all trace of him is lost. He was never heard of again. But Lenglet du Fresnoy conjectures that he ended his days in some obscure dungeon, into which he was cast for coining... Other malpractices. End of chapter 4, part 11.